it's it's very very simple to bring up these fearful statements like 2008 crash you say that to any Phoenician anyone that's lived here through the 2008 crash it's like PTSD they instantly remember exactly what it was it was hard times there was a lot of money lost and it was a big wake-up call for many and I think when people try to correlate what we're seeing right now in our real estate market um, nationally and just in general and try to correlate that to 2008 when we saw it's just it's it's bullshit it's reaching it's it's sensationalism it's it's just bullshit I can't say it enough Matt market mindset madness hello everybody and welcome it definitely feels like it's been some time since we chatted Took a week off last week, had to handle some stuff, super busy on uh, the life front. But uh, everything is well. Arizona just got done wrapping up, I think it's the busiest week it, that it's had in a long time. As far as visitors flocking here for our um, the Waste Management Open, um, a golf tournament known around the world, more for its partying than its golf. It's actually... Uh, quite an amazing event. I uh, used to go to it um, many years ago, a lot more frequently when my uh, my liver and kidneys and all that stuff that's needed to uh, absorb the copious amounts of alcohol consumed at this golf tournament. <laughs> but now I'm older. I don't do that. I'll watch from TV and hear what people have to say. Apparently there was a streaker or someone that went out and that was quite funny uh, on the 16th hole and probably made worldwide news. A guy did get arrested, so hopefully it was worth it. We also did just host the Super Bowl. Wow. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs against the good old Philadelphia Eagles. It was a really good game, but congratulations to Chiefs. It was, uh, once again, a really good game. Arizona benefited greatly, I'm sure. We, uh, we were seen all around the world uh, for this. And uh, many, many, many thousands, probably even more than that, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people came to Arizona um, for this. Not millions, that's, that's stretching it. Let's go ahead and just say thousands. Many, many thousands of people flew here with many, many millions of dollars to spend. And that's what they did. Um, and uh, and that's great. Arizona's been really looking forward to this. It's been shit. I think since like 2008, since the last time we uh, we were the home of the Super Bowl, and it's always good. And I think it was perfectly timed, perfectly timed from my perspective, and that's with real estate. And uh, I think it's a really good publicity. I think a lot of people s got to see what was going on. I think a lot of people that were traveling out here um, to spend money and. Uh, and do what those do that come to Super Bowls, got a good taste and might say this is somewhere they want to pick up a secondary residence or who knows, maybe even uproot their business and move here, just like many, many are doing. Anyways, lots of great stuff happening. What I wanted to do on this, this podcast is, is follow up on a Instagram post that I did a couple weeks ago that, that got some really good traffic actually. And uh, what it was, was the, um, there was a news article that was supposedly leaked from um, uh, Saks. 
and uh, Goldman Sachs. And uh, what this was, it was some analyst within Goldman Sachs that created a report and was ultimately, you know, he highlighted um, multiple cities across America that were poised to really, really get hurt from the real estate conditions and potentially crash up to 25% and like to conveniently use um, the word 2008, or we'll say the numbers, 2008 representing that year that many, many remember if we were uh, old enough to buy real estate, even if you weren't. I think if you were old enough to, to remember what your parents were dealing with at that point in time, everyone remembers 2008. And it was, it was America's great real estate crash of our, of our generation. Um, and I would I'd definitely say it was one of the biggest. It was the biggest um, when you look at how much we've grown as a country since the one prior to. Now, of course, this is just pure clickbait. I read it, and I was just like, what the heck? And the reason it caught me off guard and just kind of even made me go, what is they cited Phoenix in here? You know, Phoenix was mentioned the most. Um, and most of these cities were conveniently west coast um, or western side of the country cities. Um, and conveniently enough, a lot of the, the, the cities in this report from Goldman Sachs that were stating, ooh, uh, places that are going to see appreciation happen to be all on the east coast. Once again, I take this kind of with a grain of salt, especially Goldman Sachs. They don't have the best record as far as news goes, as far as real estate projections goes, investment projections in general. Um, and, and I do believe a lot of these guys create their own news for their own results. Um, and, you know, these guys are, are, are really smart. They don't come off that way sometimes, um, but that's what sometimes what smart people do. I try to do it all the time, just try to come off dumber than I, than I, than I look and, you know, you know, it's stealthy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I'm that dumb. Um, but when it comes to real estate, I am not. And I can confidently say that because I'm passionate about it. I love it. It's all I do and think about. And, and when I see this type of stuff, it really irritates me because I feel like it's, it's really, it's, it's hurting those that are very easy or susceptible to fear. It's hurting those that I think um, could benefit most from what we see happening in our real estate market right now. And those are the people that, um, you know, are probably going to be saying prices are going to be too high in the next five years and we didn't get a chance to get in and, and all of that. And I do believe that right now is the time to get in. There's, there's never going to be a perfect time to get in, especially when you're looking at it as an investment, a longer-term investment, um, and especially if you're not a, you know, a, a real estate professional or someone that that's, that's what you do is you digest real estate metrics and you're really looking at what's happening and you're an investor. Um, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now and I don't even have a crystal ball from it. But I do believe that I've experienced enough over these last 20 years and seeing what I've seen um, as far as, you know, grassroots level and starting a real estate business, starting my own real estate portfolio, growing from my early 20s now into my 40s um, and, and, and having real estate play, you know, the, one of the biggest consistent roles in my life. So I do believe that my finger being on the pulse of the Phoenix market over the last 20 years is, is enough to say that um, I do have experience and my perspective on this is, is worth listening to.
and and worth me saying and yelling from my podcast. Now, when I created this little um, Instagram clip, I, I was highlighting very quickly. I think you have a minute and a half on in, on Instagram reels to really state why you think it's wh whatever you're doing. And mine was to say why I think this article is bullshit. And that's exactly what I thought it was. And after I got done, I'm like, oh, that's cute. It's cool. It definitely got thousands of hits. And but what I realized was is eh, no one really knows what I'm putting together and why I'm why I'm kind of piecing together these thoughts and this perspective on our market. You know, anyone can do this. Anyone can come out and say, oh, I think this and this is dumb and what someone said is stupid. But when they don't really kind of back it up with their their opinion, um, and not just their opinion, but like actual some meat, some <laughs> some material to really say this is why I think this, not only from stats, but maybe from pure experience. Um, you can conveniently say this guy's a dipshit. He doesn't know anything he's talking about. And just like I thought of Goldman Sachs, they have a... Um, you know, they might be biased. They might be doing this for, you know, their own outcome that has nothing to do with real estate. Well, you could say the same about me calling bullshit on it. So that's what made me really think, well, well maybe this next podcast, I should really kind of dive into um, my history in real estate and the history of Phoenix real estate and why I do believe where we're at right now is a historical place in a wonderfully, we'll say, place in a wonderful place in time in, in Arizona real estate market it's it's very very simple to bring up these fearful statements like 2008 crash you say that to any Phoenician anyone that's lived here through the 2008 crash it's like PTSD they instantly remember exactly what it was it was hard times there was a lot of money lost and it was a big wake-up call for many and I think when people try to correlate what we're seeing right now in our real estate market um, nationally and just in general and try to correlate that to 2008 when we saw it's just it's it's bullshit. It's reaching. It's it's sensationalism. It's it's just bullshit. I can't say it enough. So the reason that I think this is Arizona is an extremely unique place. Um, you know, we're one of the newest states in the country. Um, we were one of the first places in the country that, you know, really started exploding in development and really targeting, you know, a lot of people moving and trying to set up that, that, that dream of home ownership, whether it be coming from the East Coast or other places in the country, even California and such. Um, this was a hot spot. We also had 55 plus communities that were really popular in the 50s for the greatest generation. And, and, and that was, you know, it created a lot of building. And, and a lot of these properties were built um, all the way from, you know, the 19, starting in the early 1900s, a lot of our historic homes and historic communities. But majority of the building was done in the 50s, between the 50s and the 80s. And what this did is it just, it created a product that, you know, was built right at the time, but it, it got dated. You know, a lot of these homes that people purchased, they didn't do a lot of work. And, and our real estate market did become soft. Um, not soft, but it just wasn't trending hard like other places like California and such. Throughout the 80s and 90s, we saw our little dips and our little you know, peaks and valleys. Um, but we never saw anything like we saw in 2003, pushing up till 2006, till the crash. Now, 
during that time, we got to remember that we were fueled by not only the fact that we did have all these amazing homes that were built in the 70s with character, that these mid-century moderns that now is like almost coming back in time and the hipsters and the, 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 the new trendy older millennials that were entering into the home buying market were like, ooh, this is interesting, this is cool, I can, I can work with this. And it was marketable. So we have all these people that are, you know, all these, the, the, this, this inventory that does need to be remodeled. People are buying real estate, but you also have how we were affected by not only the consumer purchasing in 2004 and three, we were really, really fueled by California. Now, Arizona's kind of always been in the shadow of California when it comes to our real estate markets. I do think things are about to change on that front. Um, it could be a little bit of a changing of the guard. Um, but back then, we were always shadowing, and, and California knew this. Um, and I think they, they didn't really know it, but they were very optimistic, and they had the opportunity to think that because they were kind of in the driver's seat. And I think they could look at how expensive their real estate and how cheap our real estate was and how close in proximity we, we were, and it just made sense. Any investor in California that was priced out of California investments, they looked over here at Arizona and said, holy crap, same with, with Nevada, uh, Las Vegas and stuff, where they're saying, oh my gosh, we could buy three of the same homes there, and everyone jumped on that bandwagon. Now, we got to look back and remember in 2000, you know, three and four when subprime mortgages were, were, were thriving and, and there was just no checks and balances when it came to mortgages. You could literally get a mortgage with little to no documentation at all. And you could falsify all that documentation, which many, many people did. So during this time, we had that great big rush. We had not only local residents that were like, oh my gosh, it's time to buy. It's, it's good, let's buy ourselves. And we have people that were moving here, and we were we were really picking up speed as far as a destination from East Coast, um, from the people in the East and other parts of the country that were trying to escape the weather and come to a place that we do get to enjoy over 300 days of sun. And then you have California that's like, oh shit, we can't invest here anymore. Let's invest over there. But instead of in just investing one home or two homes, the way that these super creative mortgage and, and lending programs are set up. People could, you know, they could buy 10 homes. And that's exactly what Californians did. They came over here and they were picking up five, 10 at a time. It was just like, psh, didn't even matter. And they were scooping them up. And of course, they were the competition of the home buyer here. I remember hearing exactly what we heard over the last years. It's all, it's all these investors. And this is bullshit. No one can buy a house. And then... At that point in time, that's when the, the new builds really were like, whoa, we, we can jump on this. And now what ended up happening is, is we did have new build communities, but we didn't have really have a recipe. And the, a lot of these new build developers didn't have a recipe. It's been a while since they've seen a boom and a, and, and a, a huge demand for new construction, especially in these outer lying areas of Arizona, of Phoenix. So, of course, they're jumping in, but they're kind of motivated by the same amount of greed, the same amount of, you know, we got to get get the going while, it, while it's good and, and just buy as much as we can, and, and there's no way it's going to drop. And, and that's what a lot of Californians thought. And I remember being young. I was 22, brand new realtor, had some mentors that were from California, and they're like, this isn't going to stop. 
it's the best time to learn. Well, we fast forward, you know, from 2000, you know, four to six, and it was insane. We went up like 100, 200% in appreciation. Everyone now is buying one, two, three homes, uh, and they're all putting nothing down. Most of these programs were, were 0% down, no underwriting done. You could literally work at Circle K or Dunkin' Donuts and pick up $2 million worth of real estate, and, and the banks would lend it. There was also these shitty, crazy programs called negative amortization loans, where they would literally lower your monthly payments so it was affordable, but each month, the principal that you weren't paying to have that affordable payment was being added to the backside of your loan. Crazy. So you have all this, people are thinking they're great, and then boom, it just stops. I remember it felt like it stopped overnight. And of course, you know, when you're, you're blinded and you're just so invested in something, you don't even want to see the vehicle crashing or, you know, see things failing. You want to just, no, it's not. I don't want to see that. Uh, it's like being in a bad relationship when you know everyone around you knows it's bad except you do because you're just doubling down. It's the same thing. People were, were going through that and they, were, they just wanted to be blind. But it came hard and fast. So then, boom, everything is collapsing. Most of our inventory was picked up from California. They're now experiencing over where they were. They didn't get hit as fast as we did. We actually got hit before they did. And, and then, boom, we had this perfect storm of just everyone around us was just like, screw it. Now, this was before the crash happened, you know, before the actual financial crash, before the, we realized how heavily manipulated our real estate tranches were and exactly how they were leveraging all of these subprime loans and stuff and just and ultimately just writing money and and it was the furthest from <laughs> any healthy investment well it crashed hard and as we were progressing we just kept dipping now of course you fast forward to 2008 when the shit really hit the fan and boom it just, we, get, we got kneecapped even further. 2008 was brutal for Arizona. Now, at this time, this is when the government stepped in and was like, okay, we got to get ahead of this. Um, we got to come up with things that are going to help out the consumer that, you know, that bought these homes and, 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 and needs help. And so at this point in time, we have people that are locked in at, in Arizona in 2008 that have an average interest rate of like 6%, but on these NEGAM loans, most of them were adjustable rate. They were going to adjust and they were going to get screwed. They had, the, the average homeowner was upside down 30% in equity at this point in time, which is insane. So they were underwater 30%. Um, they had a shitty interest rate. Our rental market was garbage. Our whole economy was crashing because it was pretty much made up of, of real estate. So everything was crashing now you have the government stepping in and they're incentivizing people to to step away from their home so if you're facing hard times it's like well what am i going to give up am i going to give up you know um am i going to give up my lifestyle am i going to let the car get repoed am i going to what am i going to change in my life no, i'm going to give up my house because they're going to pay me to give up my house and that's exactly what people did people would literally give up their home before their starbucks how crazy it was so now what we have is the largest foreclosure debacle in I think the country's history at that point in time Arizona was 
we dropped 58% in equity, I mean 58% home values in, in one area of, of the valley. And some say there was even over 60 in some, but I haven't seen the exact data points. But we're talking huge hits. The foreclosure numbers were stupid. That enough that it, it just accelerated down at the court steps. It, we had national TV shows of people coming down here and, and, and watching all these people bidding on properties and flipping properties and all this. We were a national focus when it came to foreclosure. And this is what I do believe is kind of the foundation and, and, and why we are not going to see a 2008 again when it started all right now. Because ultimately at this point in time, now you have all these investors. Homeowners aren't buying, they're, they're, they're not buying, they're not representing anything, it's all investors. Investors are the ones that stepped in and ultimately saved our real estate market. Now, of course, you know, most people that are bitching about investors over this last year saying, oh, it's unhealthy, they're the ones driving our market. You're right, it's true. But investors have also saved Arizona. And they're the ones that came in, they picked up hundreds of thousands of properties, probably millions of properties as investments. A lot of them were short term at this point where people were flipping. That's what I did for almost a decade. From 2008 to 2018, that was my primary focus on flipping homes, acquiring them from distress sales as, you know, and the catalyst of that being foreclosure. So at this point in time, you know, we, everyone's coming in short term, flipping, fixing up. But while this is happening, we are seeing homes getting fixed up. We're seeing these time capsules from, from the 1970s and 60s and 50s that just have never been upgraded um, cosmetically or even major working systems. Well, investors are realizing we're picking these things up pennies on the dollar. We can get products cheaper. Contractors knew they could build margins in and it was perfect. They're now revamping all of our existing homes to be you know, more appealing and more reliable assets, which I think is great for the consumer. It's great for homeowners um, and especially what we've seen. So, you know, all the, you know, we fast forward to around 2015 and 16, and, and during this time, wholesales, wholesales came in, and wholesalers are ultimately people that compete with realtors. And they're the guys that you see um, ultimately sending mailers. If you get stuff in the mail, hey, we'll buy your home right now for cash. You get that phone call, hey, John, how you doing? You want to sell your home? Because I'll give you cash right now, and I'll close in one day or two days. And, and this was a huge market and people realized it. The thing that I never liked about it is there's no ethics involved. You can be a wholesaler and go and buy these representing yourself as the investor buying them, but you don't have the ethics that a realtor has. So you can really manipulate the seller and there's really nothing that allows you to do that. Um, I mean, that, that permits you from not doing that. Um, obviously there's fraud and such like that, but to go in and say, hey, Etzel, you, um, you know, you got $150,000 of equity, you know, this holds old, you know, you can get that poor old lady to, you know, take a $100,000 hit where if she was to put it on the, on the market and sell it with the guidance of a realtor at these times, she probably could have made $50,000 more, but there's no law against that. And, and people really took advantage of it. So these wholesalers came in and what they would do is they'd They'd spend, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month on marketing. They'd get these calls. They'd come in and they'd write contracts. And what they do is they negotiate the 
the deal, but then have a pool of investors they would send it out to, and this pool of investors would bid on it and say, okay, we'll buy it. So the wholesaler would pick it up at, let's say, $200,000, and the wholesaler would then sell it to the, um, to the investor for a sale of $225,000. And then that, home, that, that wholesaler would make $25,000 in as quick as a phone call sometimes. And this was really big, and this really picked up speed from like 2014 till about 2018. It was a huge market. Um, that's when I exited, and and it was it was very very competitive. But at this point in time, this is when iBuyers came out. Now iBuyers, I'm sure everyone is familiar with the open doors, the offer pads, the red fins, all these these internet-based buyers that have harnessed technology to ultimately create algorithms um, and, and calculators in which they can extract data from your home, pretty much determine what it's worth, and by you just submitting your address online, giving a little bit of information, they can then send you a number and say, this is what we'll buy it from you for in a very short amount of time with no questions asked, no strangers coming through the home. People are like, wow, this sounds amazing. And it was, it was interesting. They entered into the market. They realized this is working. And rightfully so. These type of products are market conditions. They thrive on market conditions. And when we're in appreciating markets, that's what wholesalers look for. And that's ultimately what these iBuyers were. They were beefed up wholesalers, but they realized they can go a little bit more direct to the consumer and feel a little bit more like established, not so much some investor just trying to take advantage of you. So 2018, they entered into the market, and they're picking up steam pretty good. And next thing you know, they're really catching on. And what they realized that these iBuyers could do, they're, 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 they're ultimately funded by hedge funds. There's some, someone that ultimately say, hey, we have this huge billion-dollar fund. We're going to go ahead and fund Open Door and such. We're going to give you all this money to purchase and, and do it how you must. And we really want a very small return. So there was, it was a really good way to, to, to kind of, you know, um, mitigate their risk. And, and, and especially in these years when they knew, hey, we have some really good years ahead of us. Well, guess what? They said, we're going to go and we're going to talk to all these wholesalers and say, hey, guys, you know how you have this pool of investors that you need to kind of go and negotiate with the seller work through all these contracts, you gotta take the risk, then you gotta get on the phone to find this investor, one of your investors, then they gotta actually deliver the cash. Let's cut all that out for you. What we're gonna do as the iBuyers to you wholesaler is we're gonna literally bridge it, that we're gonna guarantee we're just gonna buy it. You go and get these contracts negotiated, we're gonna give you what we would offer online to anyone that would look at Open Door. So these wholesalers are like, this is freaking amazing. It cuts out 80% of my risk, 80% of, uh, of our work, and we can just double down on our volume. And we're just, it's like printing money. And that's what happened. And they were doing it, and then, boom. COVID happened. 2020. Thank you for tuning in. This concludes part one. Part two will air next week. Thank you for following. Till next time.